Over the next couple of weeks, uh, the next couple of meetings here in the evening, we're going to look at uh, kind of an introduction to the book of Ecclesiastes. <clears throat> As you know, Ecclesiastes is after Proverbs, which is after Psalms. If you haven't been there for a while, if it's been a while since you found yourself in the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, tonight I'm going to read verses, uh, kind of the bookends to Ecclesiastes, uh, verses, chapter 1, verses 1 to 11, and then chapter 12, verses 8 to 14. So please give your attention first to Ecclesiastes 1, uh, verses 1 to 11. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What does, the man, what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows <clears throat> in the south, to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, they are, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It, is all, it has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of latter things yet to be among those who come after and then if you would turn to the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, <clears throat> chapter 12, chapter 12, and I'll be reading verses 8 to 14, verses 8 to 14, the end of Ecclesiastes. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to found words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end. And much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So far the reading of God's word. May he add his blessing to it. When I was a bit younger... Um, and I went to finish up, uh, to complete my education, my undergraduate degree. Um, I had to read a lot of philosophy. Right? It was part of the uh, studies that I was doing. And um, I was encountering many atheistic, uh, existential, nihilistic philosophers. Um, philosophy is one of those categories that some people either love and can't get enough of, or they despise and see no value at all in it. Um, I'm probably somewhere in the middle, but I actually kind of like philosophy. But reading these guys, these these atheistic, nihilistic philosophers, um, 
it's 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 very glaring that it's they're deeply depressing. Uh, they're deeply uh, depressing, but they're honest within their own worldview. That was one of the things that stood out to me with some of these philosophers was within their own system. That was the logical conclusion of what they were saying. It was very uh, depressing. In one of the uh, the little um, proverbs or stories that uh, one man wrote. Uh, in describing what life was like was this. And you may have heard this before. I even may have told you this before. But he said, life is like being chased by a beast. And you're running for your life and you fall into a hole, a deep pit. And as you're falling into this deep pit, you grab hold of some roots on the side of this pit. And below is a beast ready to devour you. And so there's a beast above and a beast below. And you're hanging for dear life on these roots of the wall of this pit. And as you're hanging there, these little mice come out and they start to gnaw away at the roots. And they say, those mice are like time, and that's like our life. It's an assured death. (laughs) It's a slow death, waiting to die. Uh, And that is a depressing thought. That is a miserable uh, way of seeing life, right? What's the point in life if that's all that life is about? Most today aren't as pessimistically pronounced or lead with this horribly depressed outlook on life. But it's there, right? It's there and it comes through. It is a reality for many unbelieving people in their philosophies, in their their thoughts, their worldviews on life, whether overtly or unintentional, subconsciously, this is there. And our culture indeed is steeped in a malaise of meaninglessness. Um, As we look at this book of Ecclesiastes, we begin this new series through this book. Uh, We notice that it's very different than the New Testament epistles. It's very different than... Uh, the the letters to the Corinthians that we're studying in the morning. Though I will try to show that there are some similarities, right, to these books. They're both um, discussing and talking about covenant life, life in covenant. When we approach the wisdom literature in the Bible, those are uh, the books in the Bible that uh, 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 that contain wisdom, right, the book of Proverbs, uh, the book of Job, Ecclesiastes, and so forth. Ecclesiastes in particular in the wisdom literature can be very difficult to understand, and we need to have some clarity and some focus up front so we can read uh, this literature, particularly Ecclesiastes, and we can get out of it what God intends for us there. And that's what I'd like to do in this tonight and then the next, our next meeting is to give us some things to look at and some things to consider as we get into the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, and what I want to do is point out four important points to consider that will help us as we approach this Old Testament book from the wisdom literature, this book that Luther, uh, Martin Luther, the great reformer, um, said about Ecclesiastes, he said, we should read this noble little book every day precisely because it so firmly rejects sentimental religiosity, right? That's something from uh, Martin Luther. We should read it every day because it so firmly rejects sentiment, uh, sentimental religiosity, Others have said that Ecclesiastes is the most difficult book in the Old Test of the Old Testament books. But if ever there was a book in our Bible that addressed the postmodernism of our day, it's the book of Ecclesiastes. And so it's helpful for us to understand what's going on there. Um, these four points that we're going to look at, if you're a note taker, uh, we're only going to look at the first point tonight. Next time we meet in the evening, we'll look at the other three. But we're going to look at uh, first covenant and canon. Point one, covenant and canon tonight. And the next time, we'll look at challenges with the wisdom literature. Uh, and then we'll look at the author, Kohelet. Right? That's the name in Hebrew uh, of Ecclesiastes, of the one, the preacher, the teacher. It's Kohelet. 
And for those who like to, uh, would like to write that down in English, it's uh, Q-O-H-E-L-E-T, Kohelet. And it's just a Hebrew word that means uh, teacher or preacher. Uh, that's number three. And then four, fourth, we'll look at the Christ-centeredness of scriptures. Our scriptures are Christ-centered, all of it, from Genesis to Revelation. So again, covenant and canon, challenges with the wisdom literature, Kohelet, and then Christ-centered scriptures. Uh, it's, it's a wonderful and glorious privilege that we can have as God's people where we are in redemptive history, God's word, all of it, right? We can have all of it for ourselves. Uh, and it would profit you, it would profit us if we were to be reading through Ecclesiastes and praying through it and meditating upon it and wrestling with this book as we work through it in our evening meetings, uh, Lord willing, that could be more, would be more consistent. Um, so first, let's look at this first point briefly, covenant and canon. This first point to consider will help us as we approach Ecclesiastes. Uh, we need to realize and to have a broader grasp of what we are reading and the purpose and intention and the kind of writing that we are looking at. Uh, and I'll, bring, I'll, I'll remind you that the Hebrew Bible, right, the Bible of the apostles and of Christ that they had at the time, our Hebrew Bible, our, our Old Testament, um, is made up of three sections. Right? We have this uh, Jesus referring to these in Luke, these sections, the law, the prophets, and the writings. That's the way that they're ordered in the Old Covenant, in the, in the Hebrew um, canon. The law, the prophets, and the writings. And each of these three serve a particular function. Uh, and by the way, they correspond to the New Testament canon as well. Uh, interestingly enough, that'll be a study for another day. But we have the law, prophets, and writing. And the New Testament can be broken up into the Gospels, Acts, and the Epistles. And they correspond to one another. But what does that mean? What is the law and the prophets and the writings? Um, the law gives us covenant, right? The law tells us what the covenant is. It gives us the covenant. The prophets, those books give us covenant history, right? Covenant, covenant history. And then the writings talk about covenant life, life in covenant. So we have covenant, covenant history, and covenant life. And as we look at the way that these books are, uh, are ordered in the Hebrew uh, Bible, uh, we see that Ecclesiastes is in the section covenant life. It's in the writings section. It talks about life in the land, covenant life for God's people. And it deals, Ecclesiastes, very much it deals with anti-wisdom. Um, we read some things in Ecclesiastes and we think, wait a second, that, it doesn't seem to make sense with what else I'm reading in Proverbs, for instance, or the Psalms. It's kind of an anti-wisdom. It's like, it's like postmodernism. It addresses that so, so lovely. Uh, and the key phrase for understanding the book of Ecclesiastes occurs over and over and over again in Ecclesiastes. And it's not the phrase vanity of vanities. Right? Many people would think that would be there. That's up there for a good candidate. But that's not the key phrase. Right? Hevel hevelim is the, uh, is the phrase in Hebrew. Vanity of vanities. vanities. But that phrase, vanity of vanities, is the result of the worldview that's being, that's being uh, spoken of uh, in Ecclesiastes. And the key phrase in the book of Ecclesiastes that occurs everywhere is the phrase under the sun. Under the sun. Uh, I titled this, uh, this, this sermon, uh, Life Over the Sun, right? Life Over the Sun. And that's a play on this phrase that occurs again and again, life under the sun, Ecclesiastes talks about. And as we heard at the end of the book, the author puts forward this question. And he says, all right, if you don't want to live life in land, in the land, in covenant with our God, what's your other option? It's life under the sun. That's the other option. It's life under the sun, 
out of the covenant with God, out of the land with your God. And it's a life in this world only, with only the things in this world that you can see going on. And this life is essentially vanity of vanities. Right? In, the, in, the, in the bookends, the, the, the prologue and the epilogue, uh, the, the two ends of this book, and throughout we see it as complete vanity. There's nothing to be gained. You can be foolish or you can be wise, Ecclesiastes says. There's some advantages to being wise, but in the end, both the foolish and the wise, they both perish. They return to the dust. So really, at the end of the day, there's no advantage to being a fool over being a wise person. Is there an advantage to being a poor or a rich person? Perhaps a little bit to being a rich person, but in the end, in some sense, being rich could, it could be argued as worse because you labor and you labor and you labor and you die and you leave everything you worked for to someone else. Who what? That person may end up being a fool. And that's what's going on. It's this stark reality, this picture of life outside of God, outside of God's covenant. He says you might, might as well be a foolish person and give no thought to life. Ecclesiastes says, this is better than to be a rich person, a wise person, because all your work and effort, it just gets flushed down the toilet or thrown into the trash heap when all is said and done. And at the very end, Ecclesiastes turns around this book and it says, look, I've been presenting to you a worldview like this. This is a very depressing worldview. This world is not all about life under the sun. We are about the one who created the sun, created the heavens and the earth, who has redeemed us. It's about life over the sun. Life is not just simply what you can see. There is an invisible world out there. So fear God and keep his commandments. That's the conclusion. You can tell Ecclesiastes that has a different worldview. In Ecclesiastes, for instance, we read things like this. It says there's nothing new under the sun. But then we read further in our Bibles, and how can the Lord turn around and say through Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I'm doing something new. I'm doing something never done before. No one has ever talked about it. Behold, I am announcing it to you now before it springs forth, so you can know that no one else has planned this. Right? So Isaiah says there's something new is happening, and Ecclesiastes says there's nothing new under the sun. Right? Who is right? Well, both of them are right according to the worldview that they are operating on. Right? Ecclesiastes is putting forth this, uh, this nihilistic uh, worldview. And according to that worldview, there is nothing new under the sun. The postmodern view says there's nothing new here. But in God's community, anything is possible. Right? There's lots of new stuff happening every day. And then also, we read Proverbs, and it says, Get wisdom at all costs. It is more valuable than gold, more than precious gems. But then Ecclesiastes says this, with great learning comes great strife. He who increases in knowledge increases in strife. Right? So we see this tension. These tensions have to be held as we read these books together. And we'll say more about this later on when we get to that place in Ecclesiastes. But this worldview thinking is not new. It's not a modern science. It's at least as old as Solomon himself. He's operating off, this, off the same parameters. Solomon is basically saying, at the end of the day, the only other option besides this option is one that is highly depressing. It is vanity of vanities. All is vanity. All is meaningless. 
It's not worth anything. If this under the sun life is all that there is, what's the point? And so we have to consider this as we look at Ecclesiastes. And we look and we realize it's part of our completed canon. The canon of the Christian church. God's word to his people. And it discusses covenant life. And it discusses it from a different perspective to make a point. Even for us and for our neighbors as we interact with them. And so it's good to remember that Ecclesiastes is part of we, part of us, the covenant people's canon. The canon and have a canonical perspective when we look at the Bible, including this book. Uh, Again, next time we'll look at the challenges of wisdom literature. We'll look at the author, right, the preacher or the teacher, the Kohelet in Hebrew. And we'll look at the importance of affirming and reading the scriptures as it is from Christ's mouth himself. A Christ-centered Bible, Christ-centered scriptures, all of it. But let's remember this evening, as we close, that our gracious God has given us all that we need for life and for godliness in the word that he's given to us. Even in our world, surrounded by the culture and the worldview that we are, God has given us a more sure word. He's given us the most sure word in his word. And the wisdom literature must be read together for it fully to make sense. These books, including Ecclesiastes, they're our books. It is a Christian book. And God has graciously given us the text for our good and to show us truly the meaninglessness of life outside of and away from Christ. Meaningless, vaporous, vanity. That's the word in Hebrew. It's like a vapor outside of Christ, outside of covenant with the Lord. And so as we work through this book, let us be aware of how this can help us as we interact with the world around us. A world so steeped in this worldview, in nihilism and fatalism and hopelessness. And let us be ready indeed, brothers and sisters, to offer that world the hope that we have, the glorious, sure, and solid hope of eternal life, bursting with meaning, even in this life, which is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. May we grow by this book, which speaks so poignantly to our culture, And may we find there Christ our Savior, even amidst all the tension and conflicts and betrayals and frustrations and failings that this life brings us. And may you see that life in Christ is the only life that holds any meaning at all. It is a life that is full of ultimate meaning. Life in Christ our Savior. So let us know and grow and acknowledge and rely on him for our moment by moments and wonderful, meaningful life all to the praise of his glory.